Wow, Django, you doing that with the camera being placed, but it looked like a Kirby motion there. What was I doing? Just your hand became giant all of a sudden reaching toward the viewer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Roman, I know it's weird because we're in Zoom, but you can say reaching toward me. You don't have to refer to yourself as the viewer in this context. <laughs> <laughs> I like pretending I'm the viewer because it sounds like the watcher. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it'd be no, cool you are the reviewer Place presents episode 265, where we read comics. We talk CPP. about comics. CPP. We talk about comics after we read the comics. That's about it. We talk to people who like us. We talk to people who don't like us. We do. We hear from our fans. We, we like two of foes. We hear from our foes. We like yep. 200 of them. Yep. It's uh, it's quite a life, but it's the one that we've chosen. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about some books. Jeff's going to tell you what books we're going to talk about. Probably have some buckshots and... Uh, I think, I think, since this is season four, episode two, also known as episode 265, I think we might have a question at the end of this episode, Jeffrey. Do you? I do. Wow. That's exciting. I'm really digging the energy that we're bringing forth on the podcast tonight. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. I don't need, I don't, Buckshot, go. Um, I read Spider-Punk number one, and that was pretty it was good. It had uh, Daniel Warren Johnson vibes to me. It was written and drawn by a crew of folks. The art was like kind of sketchy and fun and imaginative. And it's like an apocalyptic Elseworlds thing. So that's that's fun. I, I, I like those when it feels like it's coming from a kind of singular vision of a creator. And uh, yeah, there's lots of music references and kind of I don't know. I think that I don't think it would appeal to everybody. But if you like musical stuff and punks and stuff, that was pretty good. I also read Batman Beyond number one. I actually really liked this one. I don't know what's been going on in the Batman Beyond Bat Beyondiverse uh, before leading up to this, but this was written really well. It actually felt a lot like Frank Miller's writing in year one, uh, just like really staccato writing style, gritty. I really liked the voice for the characters, and I could hear the cartoon characters' voices in it, but it also didn't feel like it needed that at all. But it, like I was remembering, like, oh man, yeah, Gordon's like Barbara Gordon is the commissioner, and her voice, like, just a very solid voice. So. And paced really, really well. Didn't languish in any spots. A uh, lot, lot of motion. Really j enjoyed the storytelling of this one. And the art was pretty great, too. So I'm excited to keep reading Batman Beyond, which is something I haven't said a ton. And then I read Sturgill from Behemoth sure. Comics, Episode 1. And this was long and colorful. And it reminded me of a Brandon Graham comic. But it made less sense than a Brandon Ga Graham comic. But was very pretty and colorful. And uh, not a lot of backgrounds. Just zoomed in faces. So prettier to look at than it was actually... Uh, effective storytelling but uh yeah nice yeah well St fuck i was hoping to really surprise you but you were just you were on that ball jeffrey Buddy, on that ball i live on balls i live on balls <laughs> um i gave stir girl a 7.0 because it was pretty to look at like i said but not not great storytelling but fun kind of Saturday morning cartoon stuff. I gave Spider Punk a 7.5. Fun to look at as well. Elseworldy, kind of inconsequential feeling, but a cool little world. And it does seem tight in and of itself. I'm nothing if somebody who, not somebody who loves a tight um, story. 
I liked Batman Beyond number one. I gave that one an 8.5. I would say all of the makings of a very good comic book. Nice. I thought so too, Django. Do you want to hear about what we're going to be talking about this week? Yeah, what are we going to talk about? Probably oh. none of those ones that you just said out loud. Yeah, spoiler. We're going to talk about the Do Rot Rowdy Rocketeer number one. We're going to talk about Devil's Reign number six. The West 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 of Sundown number one. Talk about X-Men Red number one. Batman Killing Time number two. Just hanging out. Apache Delivery Service number four. And Little Monsters number two. Probably a couple of buckshots uh, in there amongst all that but before we get into that i want to get an email question from will <clears throat> just a brief question this week but i do want to take a moment to give a genuine thank you to will elmer for writing us an email every week and having a question for us to be the foundation of our jumping off on the podcast and it's a great you are william elmer you are nothing if not a fantastic lubrication so thank the, you the underwater concrete on our peer into the internet i was going to call him william ky elmer um, <laughs> the lubricant exactly um, but his his question is trade paperbacks hardcovers deluxe omnibuses or absolute editions or plain issues what are your preferred collected editions and why I think everyone knows what my preferred collected edition is it's the absolute edition I think it's the perfect binding of anything second would be the Marvel omnibus they scratch separate issues for me and this is some pretty in the weeds questioning but the Absolute Edition, I think, is the perfect thickness for its dimensions, whereas the Omnibus is usually like as many as 48 issues. Absolute Editions are usually more like 10 to 20, mm -hmm. and they're blown up diagonally, so you get larger art. They got slip cases. They're the best way a comic book has ever looked. But I would say that Omnibuses are great, and the itch that they scratch is that it's like, I have all of this thing. Like, it's like that, <laughs> that hoarding mentality. Like, it's that weird part of me that's like, I'll I don't have to worry about losing an issue or anything. I have all of ecstatics right there. It's all right there. I don't have to worry about anything. And it looks great on the shelf. So absolute editions, then Omnibuy. And I'm I try not to keep keep too many issues because I don't I don't like clutter. I love issues. I love issues. You got a lot of them. I got a lot of them. And I that's that's probably my preferred way of reading comics in general. Um most of the absolutes and hardcovers and trade paperbacks that I've got are because I couldn't reasonably collect the issues or I like I like loaning them out or showing to showing people what I like to read on my shelf when they come over to visit um, I love but out of out of all the collections like I, I think you're right Jeff the absolutes are probably the nicest binding but I don't want to read an absolute because mm, it's too heavy I do. um I I would rather read the issues it kind of and that's part of my love of it is like I kind of you know, like when you're a kid and you make your bowl of cereal and you lay the newspaper out on the table and it's huge and you're kind of it's <laughs> cumbersome and you're like trying to navigate it and you haven't quite figured out how it's organized yet. Like that's kind of what absolutely makes it a special experience in my mind, which sure. I adore. Roman, what's your preferred way to acquire and keep comics at this point? Um, boy, well, at this point, I agree. Absolutes is probably my favorite collective. For, it, dep it depends on the comic for me. Um I'm, a, I'm an issue guy first and foremost, but the collected editions, um, absolutes, but it depends on what the comic series was. Like uh, I have all the issues of Promethea, but I also have those hardcover books because mm -hmm. um, the art is so fantastic. Mm -hmm. And like Sandman, I have some issues of Sandman, but I, but I don't have the absolutes for that. I have the, I think the second printing soft cover editions of Neil Gaiman, Sandman, um, and I like reading those because, yeah, some of the absolutes are just too big and unwieldy yeah. for me. Plus, I have a weird thing. I have some of those uh, 
the Marvel omnibuses and yeah, they look awesome and they're really cool, but they're so freaking big. And I have this weird thing where, um, cause a friend of mine worked in a bookstore and we used to talk about bindings a lot. I worry those ones. I'm like, well, they have to lay flat on the shelf. You can't store them vertically because eventually those kind of, and it, this is any hardcover, the bindings are going to give way and they're all the pages are going to start sagging forward mm-hmm. kind of, and then dipping in the middle. And that drives me nuts. That's a, like a pet peeve of mine when they start to dip. I'm like, oh, it's ruined. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> at a spot where I'm trying to think about how I could cut large quantities of bags and boards. There's just boards mm-hmm. into like, you know, six horizontal just sl- shim into my Marvel omnibuses, like having to sit in there, you know, like something. That's, um, that's a that's a thing those omnibus hoarders do. Yeah, is it? Yeah. I just, you know, just because I, but mine just comes from a spot of genuine, like, I can't. I don't ever want to live at a time in my life where I don't have all of this run and I don't want to have half of a short box to do it. <laughs> right. Um, that reminds me, uh, we got something in this week that I was just thinking about Django's cool shelf of comic books. And I love going to look at people's shelves. That's one of my favorite things to do is be in people's homes and look at the things like books, movies, anything on their shelves. But we just got in a pristine copy of all five hardcover volumes of Scout. Oh, So yeah. if you are a yeah. listener of this podcast, and you've heard us talk for years about that as being one of the best comic series of all time, but as a thing that you haven't been able to collect in a binding, a consistent binding for years, <clears throat> we did get a full run of it, hardcovers. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, let us know. We haven't put it out yet, but anyway. We probably probably want to sell it as a bunch. Yeah, the set of all five, because yeah. it's, it's impossible to get like three and four or something, like one, yeah. two, and five. Anyway, we're going to talk about some comic books. We're going to talk about The Rocketeer number one fa- um, from IDW Comics. This one <laughs> I thought was very interesting because it was written by Stephen Mooney. And Django, do you know his middle name? No. Oh, it's Buckshot. Go. Oh, gosh. Stephen <laughs> Buckshot Mooney, you got me good. Uh, I read She-Hulk number three, which interestingly on the very inside page has a hotly debated <laughs> cover that Jeff and I have talked about. Uh, I'm digging the series more and more. There's a good pizza scene, weird shape of pizza for that box. But um, yeah, for, for a, a series I would have guessed I would not dig at all. I'm three issues in and enjoying it. Read the last issue of My Bad, still... Very, 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 very funny. Um, I think my favorite comic this week was probably Guilt, G-I-L-T. It uh, has a, an old woman who lives in this, this apartment building that lets her travel through time and go back and try to fix her problems when she's younger. And uh, the thing that got me to read it was a little kid telling his mom, stop covering my eyes, your fingers smell like egg salad. And uh, that, that paired with the... Um, Kurt Cobain licking a woman's feet on that same panel really appealed to me for some reason, like the middle part of me, the, the, the slowly growing middle bits. Um, I also read Batman 122, more of the shadow war. The art in this was really interesting. It was, oh, it was Howard Porter um, and kind of different than what I've seen him do lately. So I dug it. Also, there's a hair sign back up in that Jeff that you should probably look oh. at. Oh, you know, I love hair sign. Uh, I would give She-Hulk a seven and a half. I would give my bad a seven and a half. I would give guilt an eight and a half. And I would give Batman. Uh, I think I'd give that Batman an eight. Django, you um, you do make sure to tell me every time Trevor Hairsign does art in something. <laughs> 
And I don't know if it's because you can't remember if I don't like him and you forget and you think that I do like him or if you know that I don't like him very much and this is an ongoing joke. I'll never tell. Okay. You'll never know, Jeffrey. So we don't know his middle name, but his last name is Mooney. And this is co-created by Lynn O'Grady. IDW put this out. I can't remember who did the last Rocketeer series. Uh, story and art both by Stephen Mooney on this one. I will, uh, yeah, Rocketeer is my earliest memory of watching a movie is watching this. So like there's a, you know, the very beginning, like the airplane, the first airplane that I ever thought was cool was the <laughs> the cool airplane in the beginning of the Rocketeer, like the black and purple one with the four on the side. And like they get shot in the oil portion and it's like putting gasoline all over the glass thing. And he's like trapped in there. And like, I was like, what does this even visually mean? Yeah, um, It's some of the coolest images ever and they all stand out in my mind i love that movie my dad loved it he's one of my favorite uh designs for a superhero that there is i love the rocketeer that being said i've never read and enjoyed a rocketeer comic it, it always you know i think it's kind of hard to make these art deco sort of pulp era sci-fi actiony adventure characters be interesting for me in the modern era without you know kind of going back into the, the old days have you, sorry have you have you read one that's actually by D dave stevens I've read a couple of the issues that we've gotten in at the store. I've never read like a full thing. And I've read like, was it originally like not even like full issues, but like small so things? Pacific Presents issues. I don't think it was. Yeah. No, I don't think it was newspaper or anything. or anything. Okay. Okay. No. And it first appeared as a backup <clears throat> in Star Slayer from Pacific Comics. Yeah. Oh, wow. And actually into this, it shows that original art back here, um, which is awesome. Yeah. I think he's awesome. I, I, uh, yeah, is is the kind of the Dave Stevens stuff? Is it that the art is fantastic, or is the writing good as well? Both. It's uh, Dave Stevens created them, and it's, it's those originals. I, I mean, I can't remember the name of the storylines, so whatever's collected, can't refer to it. But that original Dave Stevens, like his first two or three storylines, fantastic. Okay, well, I would and, love and to read those. I read the first issue, which comes into our store like every year or so. <laughs> yeah and his art i mean i love his art on the rocketeer and his whole sensibility of that art deco you know late 30s style and i thought that this issue kind of echoed that original art like it's it's more modern and it looks a lot more rushed but i thought that there were panels in here that really looked a little bit like dave stevens stuff yeah yeah there's some and of course you know he's got uh Betty Page is is you know the Betty Page poses and stuff are all there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some panels, especially of the his actual rocket pack and the plane they have in this, which I'm not sure if it's the same plane that's in the movie, but it's pretty cool looking plane, but it's it's purple and gold. Yeah, it it is the same plane as the movie. I actually like on the first page started it and I was I would not have been able to if somebody asked me what the plane in the Rocketeer looked like, I would not have been able to tell you. But on the fourth panel down, <laughs> he walks by it and I was like, wait. And I Googled <laughs> Rocketeer plane and I took a picture of it and sent it to Django. And that I was like, dude, I, I have seen this movie once since I was a little kid. I watched like eight years ago. Haven't seen it <laughs> since I was a little kid besides that. And I could still, I was like, that is that plan. I could remember it like perfectly. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, I actually thought that the story in this was pretty good. Um, I, I went in with very, very low expectations and it's a little bit clumsy, but it felt, it felt like an authentic story set in that time period um some of the little comic booky things that they did were kind of interesting like um i didn't like the the big splash page where it says the rocketeer soars that just felt a little a little bit cheesy to me but like when he's when he's flying away and he gets shot in the back uh and his thought balloon just says panic i thought that was a a cool little way to do that 
I love the splash page of him flying just because like my favorite part of this was the art and like that second page like that image reminds me of Dave Stevens Rocketeer pictures you know like with the gun up like that yeah um I don't think this is poorly done by any means it it, what I mean is that it just it like you said this feels authentic to the times that the original stories were coming out and I'm not super interested in reading that um damn I love the way that he looks and I wish that the jetpack was like the silver movie style um but that's just yeah. uh, that's just my personal preference. No, I I think that was a mistake. I I think that original one is so much cooler than this. Well, I I couldn't remember if like there's been variations of it throughout the history of the character. Maybe, maybe. I can't remember, but I I thought the rocket packet here <clears throat> looked just like the original. I'll pull the, it up on the original. The, uh, the original being in the comic. I yeah, mean, exactly. I yeah, can't yeah. remember what the movie one looks like. Oh, it's silver and it's like two breasted. It's it's got two mm-hmm. packs. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, super. I always super won- cool. I always wondered with any of these characters that have rockets on their backs. I always want to see some like detail work. I'm like, well, so is there like a a scoop or a vent or something on their back so they're not just like catching their ass and legs on fire? <laughs> Probably has to be right. Yeah, I just want the I just want the the specific <laughs> I want the tech details on that. Yeah. The, this is the original comic version of the jetpack. I just really is like it? the movie one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for the movie one. Um I will tell you that I kind of think that maybe my love of the Ray character comes from the Rocketeer also. Oh, aesthetically they look really similar. Yeah, like they've got similar jackets and I I didn't like it when the Ray got his helmet but he got it in order to steer himself in flight, which is, I think, why one of the reasons the Rocketeer has the helmet. He has it because it fucking looks cool. Well, there is that. There's yeah. that. That's why it's got the big fin on it. Yeah, got it. I love it. Um, I gave this issue a 7.5. The art was Me? great. Yeah. Me too. For every all the reasons you were just about to say. Um, I think I gave it... I forgot to grade this one. I will also give it a 7.5. I'm, I thought it was fine. I enjoyed a lot of it. I, I'm always a little disappointed going into a Rocketeer story if it's not Dave Stevens because yeah, I'm yeah. so I'm so Dave Stevens oriented. Well, his art's incredible. But my but yeah, and I really like the oral history, the first part of that in the yeah. back. That was interesting. Yeah, I <sighs> I like that it's not just like a Nazi story or like a World War II story. It's kind of a he's entered in around the world in 80 days type type of you know crazy thing. So if anything, I was like I could use more costume in this because. If I've not made myself clear, I'm here for that rocket costume. <laughs> I want a replica of that helmet so bad and the jetpack from the movie. I would just love, I would love a Rocketeer costume. Oh my God. You look good in a Rocketeer That's... costume. Kind of like, uh, kind of like somebody put some carrots and celery in a nice jacket and helmet. And then put tall, a, stuffed a little... big chunk of marshmallow <laughs> in the middle of it, you know, like right where that tummy would be. And then like a snossage underneath it. Dude, I. Snossages. Snossages. I gotta consult my scores Snossages. I... Snossages. Snossages. My favorite book of the week was Devil's Reign number six by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto. This is the end of Devil's Reign. This was a six issue miniseries, and in the last year and a half, there's been like the Empire event. There was, I guess you could cons- I, I don't think you can really call Inferno an event because it was isolated to its own four issue series. I'm trying to think of the events that there's been. Um 
I, I just think this is how, in my mind, this is the best instance of like an event comic. It's uh, it had tie-ins. It was internally consistent. Like it was, you know, had a thick world. Oh God, it had a you know a <laughs> dense world of interconnected stories that made sense within one one another, but didn't demand that you read everything to keep up with it. It was brilliantly illustrated. It was consistent. They gave Chiquetto all of the lead time that he needed to get this out on time. It uh, followed up on a series really tightly, but I also had fallen off that series for a chunk of issues beforehand. So, you know, the fact that I didn't feel left out was really impressive and it did what it needed to do in, in that it made me incredibly excited to see whatever is next for this, but also give it a sense of closure. I think it's one of the, the best written events in quite a while. And I just loved what they did at the end of this with Fisk and stuff roman what did you think of this and devil's reign as a whole i like devil's reign as a whole i mean some of the spinoffs are pretty bad but um the main book was was great and i really like that too the ending of this because at first you know they had hinted about this about oh let's run fisk for president and i was like come on don't do that dc already had lex luther as president don't, that's lame and so i really like the way this wrapped up yeah, spoilers for everybody we're gonna spoil all the comics we talk about and everything so we're gonna spoil devil's reign here but you know, they defeat Fisk and then the Stromwins, that rich couple that we kind of met at the beginning, but haven't seen much lately. was like, oh, Fisk, like, ugh, you poor little <laughs> rich boy. We're going to we'll make you president. All you have to do is, you know, kiss our ring, but you will we'll make you president. And his son's there in the room. And and he essentially I don't think he actually kills one of the Stromwins, but he injures them to nearly the point of death. And uh, just says, fuck off. And then he just takes off. He like leaves his empire to his son. And he takes off with his wife, um, Typhoid Mary. Yeah. And they're I, just going on a yacht at the sunset. Sorry, Roman. Yeah, please. Yeah. I, uh, and I love that that decision. Because, of course, Kim, the kingpin's not going to bow down to anybody. But also, his internal monologue is he makes that decision because he wants to, wants to show his long-lost son, Butch, here that, you know, Fisk don't bow down to, to anybody. And he does it to get the respect of his son. It's like, okay, that that is cool. And and I forgot the reason I yeah explained that was was because yeah I also while I was reading I was like oh no like they dragged that you're like <laughs> oh he's gonna become president like okay all of this was for nothing and they're gonna do this thing and I love that yeah. he then defied the expectation and uh, murdered them or you know got close to it and then yeah I don't know exactly I could I could see this being the end of Zadarsky's stuff mm -hmm. but I think it's not. But it, there seems to be a very clear kind of breaking point here in my mind. There's another Daredevil comic coming, right? Is there? I th uh, yeah, I think a number, Sweet. just a number one was announced recently. Okay, cool. I hope it's Zdarsky. Um, but I, yeah, this is my, you know, I love the Wade Daredevil run, but I do think this is my second favorite behind the Bendis one at this point. So I, right. I gave this issue a 9.5 and I think Devil's Reign is a really incredible but it, it, you know it leans a little bit more superhero-y than like the bendis run which is kind of fun yeah my favorite bendis run is brewbakers i think yeah and, the, I, the brewbaker one is great yeah it picks up right where the bendis one leaves off so i, I always kind of feel like it's almost one big run it is weird having fisk like be in love with somebody other than vanessa because i'm always expecting him to be like oh vanessa mm -hmm. you know it's... <laughs> being happily married is yeah is bizarre but um yeah. what was your score on this one you little monkey man oh um uh, let's see i gave it a seven i'll, I'll give it an eight 7.5 eh? that's kind of low what were you no, thinking I'll, I'll, yeah i'll give it an eight well because the first one i read it i was it had a little as you would expect it had a little bit too much of like oh wrap up this character's little plot here the battle and too a little too much like 
conversations going on during the battle. And I always kind of get annoyed at that. Yeah. I really like the bit when uh, Daredevil breaks the purple man cane on Fisk's head. And I think the purple man had his, his finger was in there and that's why he was controlling people. Oh, yeah. nice. I, I didn't realize it was like a cut off finger. So I looked at that panel. I was like, why is there a fake? Is that a, <laughs> uh, um, so just to give everybody a, a little peek behind the curtain. Yeah. We get, our data about what comics are coming out from a couple different places. And it's been kind of unreliable lately. And one of the big inaccuracies that we had was that everything for like three weeks was attributed to Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto. But I just looked at our distributor's website and confirmed that Daredevil number one is coming out in June, written by Chip Zdarsky and illustrated by Marco Cicchetto. Uh, So... Those two guys are doing they're they're okay. continuing the daredevil story okay that's great sweet that's yeah. great news yeah yeah it's it's i think one of the best superhero co- comics coming out right now so nice um did you give a score for it jeff i did yeah 9.5 it was like 9.5? nearly perfect 10. like i just okay. i felt so good when it was done like i just like i just felt like every part of that journey was fun i didn't have any disappointment or like felt like there was a not a return on a promise and it went yeah, then when you can simultaneously wrap up a big story and then offer hooks into another story, but not make me feel like I'm missing out on anything. Like, I just think it's it was really well constructed. I, I mean, you know, I wish I, I were an adult and not a little bit frustrated that Chip Zdarsky is just better at every aspect of humanity than I am. Because Oh, like, he's I think a great he's artist. more depressed than you. Well, I hope so. Uh, that would make me feel better. <laughs> that would help me deal with my depression. Um, but yeah, he's just like, you know, one of the best writers doing superhero comics, I think, period. And maybe writers, period, because he's got Newburn, which I hear is a mm-hmm. cock-burning riot of a time. Um, on a topic of a riot of a time, I heard that the West had some... I heard, I heard that if you go... I heard that if you are on horseback and you're headed into the sun uh, and it's sunset and you go west of the direction of sundown, you'll, you'll find gold. This is set in 1861. Uh, and uh, a, a Confederate soldier... Was it, Roman? Well, no, it was a horrible year. Okay. <laughs> Civil, Civil War started. A Confederate soldier is burying a child in the first few panels. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he hears the dinging of a bell, and it turns out to be a woman who's been buried alive. And of course, being a comic book, she's a vampire. And uh, so she takes him, she, she has to go to New York, which is where she's from in order to... to well, no, she's not from New York. They they go to New York to kind of strike it big. And then there's a disaster and she has to get back to where she's from in the United States in order to sleep on her home's earth again, which is a rule that vampires have. And uh, in the meantime, they, they encounter all kinds of like high society and boat captains and uh, like rustlers and murderers. It's it's dense, Roman. There's a lot happens in this comic. And the last page is like, it feels right for this world, but it is so, so comic book <laughs> to introduce this character on the last page of this vampire story. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was, I was really impressed with it. I was too. In fact, and I was wondering these two characters at the end, uh, the Frankenstein t- type creature type character calls the other one, Mr. Griffin. And I was like, is that the invisible man? Cause that was, Oh, it is. Isn't wasn't that his actual name? Something yeah. Griffin. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of good detail. I, like in those opening pages, I love the fact they use the the device that 
was an actual historical device because they used to medicine sucked back then and they would sometimes bury people when they were still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had devices like that, like a, a some kind of alarm system. So if somebody woke up in a coffin, they could pull a string and ring a bell up on the surface and hopefully somebody was passing by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, that's, that is such a scary thing to have to have. Yeah. Because doctors yeah. are so bad at their job. <laughs> yeah I love oh it. god <laughs> yeah I love it. A, yeah awesome detail and yeah just all sorts of little cool i had to google the german name because of the main vampire woman her name her last name is her name is miss constance dura bend and mm-hmm. i had to look up dura bend because i was like that means something in german it means good e- uh, the evening or something like that der abend yeah. yeah 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 oh she's the lady of der abend yeah yeah. And and I didn't know if, you know, some of this stuff when she's on stage singing, I was like, is that a reference to some famous singer back then? But yeah, there's just a lot of cool details in here. It's spooky. The art is cool. And um, it never really went where you expected it to either. No, no. Um, even the even the kind of partnership she has with this human servant, this Irishman who came over here, I I think, to get away from the famine in Ireland and end up mm-hmm. serving in the, the American Civil War that doesn't go where I expected it to either. Just the relationship. Yeah. It's, it's all very surprising. Yeah. That double really... page spread that has like the, the continents of North and South America and the panels broken up around it. And like the channel the, is really an awesome double page spread. Yeah. 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 And the fact that she comes from, because her home was destroyed, she has to get back to her, her homeland to get more earth from her birthplace. And the fact that she's from, Oh God, I forget where she's from somewhere in South America. Yeah. And I thought that, well, that's cool. We don't often get to hear about vamp, at least in, you know, America, we don't often get stories about vampires from South America. They're always European. It makes sense that uh, vampires would have been everywhere. Yeah. 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 Uh, I love vampires. You you guys, they're one of my favorite mythical things. I love them. That's why we call you our favorite little vampervert. Oh, what do you give this book, Roman? Uh, written by oh Tim Seeley oh. and Aaron Ca- and Aaron Campbell. It's always written by Tim Seeley. Yeah, and I Aaron Campbell like wrote it. Love Aaron him? Campbell, right? Yeah. But what has he done? He was the artist, right? Yeah, he's the artist on um, Infidel, Infidel, and a few other books that we really liked. This huh. is drawn by Jim Terry from uh, Vault Comics. You got some numbers, Romy? I get, I gave it an 8.5. I give it an 8.5 too. I think it's really well done. I was, I was super surprised that I liked it that much. Romy, yeah. you've got, you just gave it an 8.5. Got some great covers. Yes, I did. Uh, so that's like 85. What if I told you you had 90 seconds go? Oh man. Let's see. Uh, did you talk about spider punk? I'm going to talk about spider punk. Put um, it in your butt. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to continue reading this, but I, I don't know. It wasn't punk enough for me. Plus I also thought that, you know, if everyone in this world they live on is punk, it kind of dilutes the punkness of spider That's punk. True. Cause yeah. everybody's punk. You got to have somebody to, re- to the rebel most punk against. thing you could be would be white yeah. toast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the phenom. Um, I love the second issue of monkey or third issue of monkey prince. Of course, that was awesome. Latest issue of firepower. Number 19 was good as always has some fascinating art insights by Chris Samney in the back of the issue. Um, Task force Z number six. I just want to mention because the cover made me laugh so much and think of Django because it's the cover image is uh Batman roaring in the Batmobile with some of the task force Z piled on top of it. And it just says the bat in the furious. (laughs) 
That's dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's dumb <laughs> and great. Um, the thing number six, final issue of that series. Uh, that was pretty good. And I, I was excited because it's going to lead into a new thing series. But then it Ooh. turns out that's not because it got canceled already. I think that's what Django or told delayed, me. Like definitely delayed. delayed, probably canceled. Okay. Okay. And heavy metal drummer <clears throat> number three. Ooh. That was awesome. That series is nuts. And I'm not sure I quite understand everything, but it's beautifully done. I was pretty sure you were writing that as a biography in your spare time. Fighting all those weird alien prostitutes disguised as prostitutes. And yeah. <laughs> don't know if he's a good prostitutes disguised as a hooker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh heavy metal drummer number three, I gave an eight. Task Force Z, I gave a seven point five. Uh Spider Punk, I gave uh seven. Firepower, I gave a eight point five. And I don't remember what else I said. <laughs> Dude, you I I agree. I, I spider punk at seven point five. I, I think that's yeah. And I think you yeah. you did a better job of talking about some of his shortcomings. But I do love Elseworld world so stories. Cool. Yeah, and then they're all punk you know based around a theme it's fun you know like he does look cool and i they and I, all of them look cool but yeah yeah and i like that i don't know i was torn on captain anarchy because it's like yeah their version of captain america's like well that's a cool name and i love the shield and everything but at the same time if you're into anarchy would you even join a team i mean <laughs> yeah that's well, another good point i love that he also he's like captain america anarchy dude and he, like there's just a scene of him like making out with another dude and you're like fuck yeah yeah and also he's from a res i i th- oh yeah he was i like that yeah, yeah. he did is that the same guy who what wasn't there a character with a similar origin from that Captain America series that came out? Oh, the, there is United States so of Captain I, America. Yeah, yeah. And he was like wearing overalls or something. But yeah, yeah, but obviously that was a different universe. But yeah, and I think they're different because this Captain America, his real name, I I think it's different. Okay. Yeah, and, and I don't think it was a separate reality, and that the other one did take place. And the other one may have just had a gay Captain America and a native Captain America. Yeah. And they might have mashed them together for this. Yeah. yeah. America, man. Um, X-Men Red number one by Al Ewing, Stefano Caselli. Roman, did you read this one? I, oh, yeah, I did. Al Can Ewing. you be the one that tells, start, kicks off this discussion about this? Sure. X-Men what did you think about it? What was this? This X-Men Red, it turns out, and I'm, I was so relieved to see this, it's not called X-Men Red because of their... Du- doing the color teams or anything it's because it's it's the team that's going to be based on Araco, the mars the red planet um by i almost said aaron ewing not aaron ewing that's aaron campbell al ewing al ewing and caselli is the the artist uh so this is just kind of setting up what may become an x-men team for Araco. um and magneto has just recently moved there left the quiet council so has some good Magneto stuff there where he meets a local and they're kindred spirits um, sets up the poli- it gets more into politics and the cultural kind of classes on the planet which I thought was was pretty cool somehow Roberto owns a bar on the planet I don't know when that happened but I don't read the comic Roberto is is in um, so did a- you like it I did I did I mean I I'm not thrilled with the art but you know it's okay um, I liked it it's probably sometimes I get kind of bogged down in the Araco stuff. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't really care about the Iraqi Iraq Hill. Is it Iraqi? The people Iraqi. there? Yeah. Iraqi. Yeah. Those, those mutants. Cause they seem kind of one note so far, but maybe this series will change that. Roman, I was excited to hear your thoughts on it because I really liked the first five pages, the sort of like storm on storm thing when she's in that like religious crucible act that they have, you know, 
that we yeah. met in X-Men number seven. Um, I liked that. And then I liked the little bit of the, the quiet council right before the credit scene. But, and then I really liked the Magneto, like kind of repentant Magneto trying to find solitude and solace on Mars. And he like builds his castle. I really liked that because to me, when he does a castle that has like Kraken tentacles and stuff on it, like that's kind of like hearkening back to brotherhood Magneto, like kind of mm. hinting at like, okay, well, he's been kind of anti-hero Magneto for a while, but maybe this is kind of the beginning path to him being bad guy Magneto. And I would love to read that story, but that was 10 pages. And then from like pages, like 11 to like 22 or 20 or something, um, when it's the bar and it's uh, the summer's brother, whose name I forget Vulcan and Vulcan and Acosta and Thunderbird and Cable. I that like that like really stretched my patience in terms of what <laughs> like wanting to read it and not want. I just I just lost interest in that. And then we got to like the data page, the nine seats of the great ring and how they voted. And it's like that was just like, you know, we've seen all sorts of people do these X-Men data pages at this point, and they do them to varying successes and how you use visual information. Yeah. And this was just like bam not interesting text like but i but i wanted <laughs> in my mind but what i wanted to hear is because i've known that you actually really enjoyed the politics as they're explored in these x-men worlds and i thought this one was doing that pretty heavily but then hearing you talk about it yeah i think the krakowin politics are a bit more interesting than the iraqi politics which yeah. like we don't really know that other world culture yet like the you know they grew up in other world and they like it's it's not super interesting or grabbing to me, but I really like Storm and I really like her super arousing costume design they give her on the final page. That's oh yeah, that, that new costume is awesome. Yeah, um, yeah and I hope that, uh, as I think Abigail Brand points out to uh, Storm, mentions a couple times, uh, you know, when you guys colonized Mars and Storm says, well, let me stop you right there. We didn't colonize it. We resurrected it. But I was thinking, well, yeah, you resurrect, you brought life to it and then you colonized it. I mean, you claimed yes. it as... <laughs> for right. mutants that's a and fun I, that's a fun distinction i didn't actually the nuance of that is very satisfying to think about but i and it didn't hit me when i read it yeah and i want and i and i've been wanting that to come into play more and more because obviously earth especially but other people in the galaxy are gonna be mad about that yeah and I was, planetary ownership is interesting to me is it colonization if nobody lives there um that's a good point not really but it's still claiming it, which, you know, of course, all the governments on Earth are going to be, well, we were going to claim it. Right. <laughs> we want to we, claim we were it. trying really hard to get up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it's not colonization because, yeah, I don't think in the Marvel Universe anybody lives on Mars. They don't have Martians. That's I, DC. I read part of it. I, yeah. Django, I was kind of trying to wade the middle ground so you could come in here and slay the dragon. I didn't like it. When Cable walked into a bar on Mars, I put the book down and I decided that I'm going to call it in my own personal canon. I'm going to call it X-Men Unread. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really like that, man. I really I, like your jokes, man. I hope that I hope other people like it more than me. But as, as somebody who's like only probably got a 50 percent chance of actually liking any given X-Men story, no matter who's who's writing it. Um, this this did not do anything for me. You know, I've said Al Ewing can be really hit or miss for me. He, you know, some books of his are like amazing and others I really don't enjoy at all. And this was like a tale of both Ewings. Um, mm -hmm. Like the first and end of it, the beginning and end I liked a lot. And then like there's a big middle portion that just dealt with stuff that I didn't care about. So I do think that he is a great mind. And I think that he probably has to deal with like kind of creative emotional stuff and then analytical crunchy stuff simultaneously. And I think his different books 
balance that differently. And and right here, it makes sense that there's kind of like a balance of both of those things. Um, mm-hmm. So I gave it, I gave it a 6.5, but I'm going to bring it up to a seven actually, because 6.5 I was thinking is a little harsh. I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. And I, I thought it was good. And I, I thought the parts I liked, I liked quite a bit. Um, but yeah, the middle was a slog. I could say that uh, like, here's two points. One of the things I really liked was that this guy that um, Magneto makes friends with the Fisher yeah. King um, turns out he's not, I guess he's not a mutant, right. but he was born and raised in, uh, in prisons. And they just have some nice dialogue there where he recognizes that Magneto was also raised in some kind of captivity and everything. And, and they, and this guy just is able to tell that. So that's that commonality was pointed out nicely and then i really liked all of those you know all of that stuff all the magnitude stuff that was great yeah yeah and then i agree the uh, nine seats on the great ring that text two pages of text even i didn't read read all that i I, kind of skimmed it a little and read the and i read the words in bold because i thought okay that's the important thing (laughs) and that's it so yeah i just i just wasn't sure what magneto is going to furnish his castle with they even talk about that in yeah do they? I must <laughs> yeah. have stopped reading it by They're then. They're just like, man, you don't. So you've stopped before even the opening. Oh, I guess that was right after opening credits. Yeah, they. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a joke about it. Yeah, his new buddy says, "Oh, are you gonna get any furniture?" And but Magneto had a great comeback. He said, he did, uh, yeah, something about like uh, I'm the master of magnetism, not not uh, interior design or something." Oh, I did read that. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, it just didn't. Stick. I gave it. I gave I'm it an sorry. eight. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad I was, I have been looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it the whole time, Roman, because you love Ewing. And, and again, I think you have a little bit more of an interest in the, a, a portion of that X universe that I'm less interested in in terms of like the politics and stuff. So I give it an eye. Yeah. Incomplete. <laughs> yeah. Django is. <laughs> X-Men I un- didn't read it. X-Men unread. <laughs> you guys, that was a great joke. Django. <laughs> you guys, Batman Thanks, killing time. It. Number two by Tom King and David Marquez. Uh, I also am excited to hear Andrew's thoughts on X-Men red. Andrew, a uh, big fan of the podcast, big fan of Al Ewing and the editor of our podcast. And I wanted to much like will offer a big thank you to uh, Andrew. We don't do it every episode and I wish that we remembered to. So huge. Thank you for editing the podcast every week. If you like the podcast, everyone that's Andrew's editing. Um, Batman Killing Time, number two. What'd you guys think? He's doling stuff out in a weird way, and I really like it. I really like it. I, I had to read a nine. I loved I had, it. I give it a nine too, but I had to read number one again because it came. I would two. love to. Well, number two came in, and I was like, what the hell's this? I don't remember the yeah. first issue of this. So I had to reread it because I, I completely forgot this was a, a series. <laughs> that almost worked better for me because I do remember not loving issue number one. And I think that it was in, in my memory of it, it like kind of centered around the crime and it was a little bit more scattered than this one in my memory. And this one it felt a little bit more like once Batman and Catwoman found its footing in the time jumps, like when you could kind of be like, oh, this is this scene, this scene. And like when I kind of centered a couple key moments in time and maybe I know Will really liked the first issue. So maybe he had centered those in the first issue. But for this, mm-hmm. for in this one, this is where it really set for me. And I kind of was then anchoring, dancing around this like March 4th day and, you know, like relating time to months and years before and after that. And then I really loved that classic Tom King device of the, you know, the Shakespeare, the reference of the, or not Shakespeare, but the Roman or whatever myth myth that's going on through it of the King who goes out and his mother kills him amongst these other women. And um, I was jumping around in time for that too. Yeah. I loved the way that was interspersed, but I I just thought this was um, fantastic. And 
I love I love a six issue Tom King thing. I, there's so many of them are 12 issues and he's firing on all cylinders on this. I'm excited to see what he does in six issues. I'm just glad he's finally lis- like listened to our complaints on the podcast. Like I, I don't think he was always been a listener, but he clearly took our advice and started putting timestamps yeah. on scene breaks. And I really do appreciate that. <laughs> He did send that email in asking us, guys, do you do you literally mean that you want me to do that? Or is that like a ribbing fun thing? And I totally I respect that he needed to reach out about that because we are lackadaisical and sort of how strict we use certain words and certain ideas. But I, 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 do, I mean, like, is this stronger for it? Is it stronger it's different for it? It's different for it. I don't think I could have read this without it. And so, Tom, like. You know, if you're only listening to us, then yes, it was stronger for it, like because we made it through and, you know, it worked, worked for it, but not for everybody necessarily. So don't only listen to us, Tom, but we do appreciate the weight that you give our words. Can I say that I love the idea that the Riddler would beat someone in Morse code as a message for Batman? That was so good. That That was was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of where it was really hitting on all cylinders for me in the reading of this. Roman, what did you think of this? Oh, I loved it. You know, usually I don't like the uh, that narrative device of like, oh, a day earlier, four months earlier, 3,000 mm-hmm. years earlier. Because um, a lot of times it's not done very well, but Tom King does it so well in this. I mean, you this story, I mean, this story just couldn't be what it is without that device. Um, He's just and, getting better and better is the thought that I was having reading this. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think in the first He's issue- more talented. Yeah, I think in the first issue, that, that narrative device kind of bugged me a little bit. But by this issue, I was like, no, no, this is the way the story has to be told. Roman, I, um, I feel the exact same. I don't know what it was about the the way that it was used in the first issue, but like it was maybe haphazard or um, I don't know. It felt, I don't know, not disingenuous, but maybe not advantageous for the story. But then within yeah. this one, it really was advantageous for it. So, yeah, yeah, it felt maybe like it was still maybe a little gimmicky, but not in the second issue. Yeah. And I'm still... I mean, I love the stuff with the the Bacchanalia and um, what's his name, the king whose mom kills him and the other women kill him there. But I'm still not quite sure why that's important in the story. Um, other, well, we, just, we don't know who's showing up at the house. Yeah, I really like the way yeah. that that is. And yeah, I like that non- mystery. Yeah. 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 King, Pen- sorry, king Pen- Pentheus. King Pentheus. Yeah. The Especially way that wonder, did we get the word Pentium from him? Ooh. The way that it's doled out, the information is is really, really satisfying. Um, I really like all of the characters in it, and I, I like the way that they're written. And then Will had offered the idea that is this possible crime um, that the Joker has just committed? Uh, Joker has just pulled off what will become known as the Massacre on Newton Hill. I wonder if that is the thing that is kind of circulating in Batman and Catwoman. Will had brought that up, and I love the idea oh. of that being a, a similar thing. Mm-hmm. I will say... Well, we've gone back and forth about talking about the idea of naming streets and stuff after Batman creators, <laughs> and it can be a little bit annoying. But then Roman said recently, like he kind of likes it within just Batman. And I do really agree with that. Like it's I think I like the homage nature within Batman. But I had a thought while reading this, which is he na- he throws out a lot of them in this this street, mm-hmm. this area, this yeah. wing of Arkham, this lake, every and, every single proper name is a Batman creator. <laughs> and I just feel like, are we? losing out on the opportunity to create kind of an important map of the city of Gotham by, by kind of casually throwing out all these random names. Because when we do this, he says like Denny, Denny tower, like 
everyone kind of throws Denny around in different spots or like mm-hmm. Miller in different spots. It's used all over. If if we were to like stick to one creator or not use creator names and actually have reoccurring geographical locations within Gotham, I feel like as a reader, that would be more rewarding to me because I'd be like, oh, right, that's this place where this has happened or these have done these things. And and as it stands, we're just like throwing around portions of Gotham all over the place. And, and I, I don't know, that occurred to me today. What do you guys think of that? I would give both of my testicles to have a canon map of Gotham that all stories adhered to. Yeah. Just full stop. I want like a New York City uh, phone book style map of Gotham City. And I don't mind if you use the creator names, but I would just like us to be leaning on consistent locales for those spots so that we can actually start building a relationship with these geographic locations. They kind of tried that in the early 90s when they destroyed Gotham and and... I think it was like they blew up a bunch of Gotham buildings to reveal the old architecture. And it happened to look a lot like the Batman 89 architecture. Hmm. Um, but I feel like there were some loose maps out around that time that that gave you some ideas. Not anything as intricate as what we just demanded from DC Comics. But well, anyway, just just a thought I had. I love I, I you know, it is fun leaning into it because it's fun to pay homage to all these creators, especially ones who like were kind of overlooked in the original rollout of things. But, um, yeah. you know, I would I hope it's not coming at the cost of being able to create some key key locales. So uh, do we all get scores for that? I give it an eight. Um, I gave it a nine. I gave it a nine as well. Yeah, it was very exciting to me i think it was really really hitting on all cylinders and and listen i'm falling on the sword for all of our customers i'm taking home the one that uh has fingerprints burned through the ink on the cover yeah we Keeping had some that more one here rough inks this week <laughs> i don't know who did that one because i've got my copy here at home and oh i did i did melt the edge a little bit <laughs> <laughs> mine's still good <laughs> I was being very careful. Um, Hey, let's move quick on this one, boys. Apache Delivery Service, ADS. We all read and finished this four-issue series. Roman, uh, you did catch up on the whole series. Um, I don't... I really liked the end of this Mm -hmm. for like a four-issue series. I could have hoped it would maybe be a longer, bigger thing, but if this is going to be a four-issue thing, I think that it wrapped up pretty nicely. But I'm curious, uh, once again, Roman's thoughts on this because... Uh, historically, I think through all of the issues so far, he has read them like days after we recorded the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So uh, having having known that you have actually read this uh, before recording, I'm curious how you thought it all ended up and just sort of what you thought about it. Well, now I did the opposite problem. I read it I, first I do. and I don't remember. I, yeah, I read it on Tuesday because <laughs> we only had like a couple copies in the store. Um, I yeah, It was a nice ending. He had a nice, he had a happy ending, which I didn't expect. Um and I think something cool and nasty happened to the French guy. Yeah, he gets wrecked like the <laughs> yeah, yeah. even the witches, quote unquote, Vietnamese kind of like Aboriginal folk who mm. are guarding this area. Like right. he leaves without trying to take stuff. So they're like, yeah, I mean, you're good to go. And he's yeah. like, I'm going to call in the bombs on this place. Let's bury this gold forever. And people will finally stop coming. So they do that. And then the guy dies in that explosion. And then he gets to live out his days in Vietnam, kind of living the lifestyle that he was uh, that was stolen from him as a person oh, in America. Oh, does does our protagonist stay in Vietnam? I I assumed he went back home, but I that guess was, that makes that was my impression was he was I fishing in Vietnam. Vietnam. Okay, that makes more sense because I I was kind of wondering, boy, I'm dopey. I was kind of wondering at the end, well, where is he back in the USA where he's got like these nice rivers and stuff? <laughs> I loved like the art throughout it. I timed myself. It took me seven minutes to read that comic. It's yeah, it's a quick comic, but like so much of it is set in these Mm -hmm. catacombs and it's super disorienting. 
I thought that was really, really well done when they're chasing each other through the caves. I just think it's an interesting Gorgeous. relationship that like time that it takes to engage in something can have. Like for me, if it takes, like, because I thought about this like an hour after reading it, it was it took me seven minutes to read it. And then I thought about it much longer than any other comic. Like, yeah, what did that mean? Or like, wow, that picture was really, really perfect. And it said this, like, you know, it's, that's one of my main things about harping about is like, I love less words, more image storytelling. And it's for that very reason. Like I really love like, you know, if you can make it through quick or if a lot of it is nonverbal storytelling, that's the stuff that I'd start rolling around in my brain for a long time. So mm -hmm. this one did that. There wasn't a tremendous amount of meat on the bone in this comic. Like it's pretty straightforward and there's not a huge amount of questioning and, and nuance to it, but uh, I really I really liked it. And I thought the silent bit was, bits were great. I thought the art really matched the tone um, mm -hmm. even, you know, even more than like, you know, like Black Badge was great. I think Jenkins did the art in that as well. But like, that was all kind of like a Wes Anderson kind of like, you know, this yeah. is this is way closer to like Grass Kings for me. And it felt similar to Grass Kings. I love a Matt Kent sort of murder mystery in a unique place. So, um, and those last two pages are like the orange gorgeous. and yellows on there are yeah. so pretty. It, yeah. The final panel feels almost like a Rousseau yeah. drawing to me, like just, just the way the shadows are and the, the body language and everything. Yeah, they're, it's absolutely it's gorgeous. Wonderful. Um, I gave the issue an 8.5, and I think I'm going to give the four-issue series a nine. Just it, it was the perfect confluence a lot of my uh, for a lot of my interests and told beautifully by a writer I like. And if they do a hardcover, it, I will buy it. If it's just in a paperback, uh, echoing Will's sentiment, I won't. My shelves are too valuable at this point. I can't just have every Tom, Dick and Harry paperback that comes out on my shelves. I need a nice hardcover. I'm, I'm right there with you. Eight and a half and a nine. Uh, there is a trade paperback coming out and I think they could do better with the covers on this. The hardcover? I think the issues could have had better covers too, frankly. Uh, the paperback has the cover to number one. Yeah. Just yeah, they're 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 cool little graphic cover. design bits, but they're not they're not yeah. gonna jump off the shelf. I really like the variant cover for this Ooh. final issue. That was a cool cover. I don't remember that one. Uh, but there's a nice cover on the back of issue number one. It's like Ashley Wood. Oh man, it's I didn't see that one. Yeah, the variant, it's it's mostly orange and it's um our soldier. I keep forgetting his name. Um Yeah, me too kind of just surrounded by there's some sticks or guns protruding out of the ground and some skulls. And it's just a very melancholy war scene. Hmm. Oh, Django Bourne has started sharing the screen. He's showing us that cover. That's oh very gosh. nice. Roman and Django. Very good. Um, Django, you've upset the entire flow of our thing. Yeah, I, know. I, I don't, that. I don't, I don't see the cover. I just see some, Oh God. That's like Django's desktop is a big naked picture of him spread eagle on a bed with <laughs> fake rubber arms extruding from either end of the bed, pulling his butt cheeks apart, displaying his butthole, which just has some sort of starfish tattoo on it. Oh my god, yeah, it's Starro. And he's and he's he covered, Starro tattooed on his he's, butthole. He's covered in watermelon juice and seeds. Yeah. Yeah, I do like Starro though. Yeah. What's on oh, you yeah. guys' desktop? I'm fully clothed on mine. Hey, Django, <laughs> since we've got all of our buckshots out of the way, let's make one more pit stop along the bookway before we get out of here. Can we talk about little monsters when we do it? Can we talk about small beings that are horrific, please? <laughs> uh, Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. Number two, this took that first issue, which I thought was really well done, but didn't didn't do much more than just give us these kid characters. Um and this gives us kids feeding on adults and get, introduces a new character, gives us some old history for one of the other characters, Romy, uh, which 
I, I think is probably Romy's favorite. It was me a bone doggy for sure. Yep. Um, and tells us how how Romy got turned into a vampire. And oh, no. I, it, I don't know, man. This is this is interestingly paced and I think really, really good. Wow. I need to read that second issue because I forgot Romy was in it. And I definitely oh. need to read that. Did you not <laughs> read that issue? I didn't. He's oh, gosh. literally a sad kid walking through the snow in this one, Roman. He's going to be our hero. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really liked this one. I think that this one was really well paced mm-hmm. and quicker than the first issue. There was, le- mm-hmm. again, say meat on the bone. There's less meat on the bone, but it could not have stood so well if the first issue hadn't pulled the weight that it did in terms of introducing all of these characters in the atmosphere. While I was reading this issue, like near the two third or three quarter mark, I was thinking about how satisfying it would have been to be reading this in a paperback. And mm-hmm. to kind of go from that first chapter of meeting everyone to this very important second chapter, which, you know, groundwork was laid in that first issue. But this one um, introduces a very important portion of this mythos, which is that these kids are vampires, but they've never fed on humans. And yeah. one of them just found a human and fed on him. Now, what do we do? And it's then what does that mean for them? And I think that when it comes to like vampire lore, um, you know, what it means to be a child vampire is really interesting. And I can't remember if I mentioned this on the first one, but like, I love Anne Rice's interview with a vampire. I know you do. I do. I love it because it's one of the interesting inspe- uh, aspects of vampire lore where it really explores the idea that like, if you're turned into a vampire when you're a child, you can't emotionally mature past the age with which you are now permanently tied to. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself, it's kind of like the black uh, well, no, it's the actually the opposite of the black label or the black hammer golden gale thing, which is she's right. stuck in a child's body, but she has emotionally matured beyond that. But vampires are stuck in, you know, like a 12 year old prepubescent stage or whatever. Anyway, I love that idea. Uh, and I, 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 you know, I think this explores childhood vampires who've been around for a long time in, in an interesting way. And so, yeah, I've got a counterpoint. OK, I love this cliffhanger. Yeah, I wouldn't want to read this in a trade. I would have liked the first two issues to be one 48 page issue because I think that this cliffhanger is amazing. I think the first issue didn't have a great, you must read the next issue. Like it had, it had a little bit, Hey, where's, where is this kid? But that's it. Yeah. I think these, if you want to stand back and look at the best way to create a hook within a reader to like make them want to read more, I think that condensing issues one and two together to make this, the initial cliffhanger is probably a better execution. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that that's probably kind of a function of the stories that we're telling now in comic books, right? So like for the first 30 years, you could tell a story that people hadn't seen already in one issue. And now with kind of decompressed storytelling, we give the vampire setup in issue one and we give the twist on the vampire setup in issue two. So like we can't really do the mashup without part one and part two. Mm-hmm. And so when some books come out who was it that did was it saga that started with a, a double page book i don't or know was it so like one of those early image guys kind of pioneered the the double sized first oh yeah issue. was it like rip robert kirkman yeah it might have been kirkman yeah um but but just doing the the double sized thing lets you do the setup and the twist yeah. right out of the gate where 20 pages in a comic doesn't quite give you the time for the twist yeah, I think flexibility with that is important. Um, I agree. It's just different ways of doing things, right? Like originally, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years ago, you had probably, you had three issues worth of words in one issue's worth of pages. 
Oh, can you imagine like Galactus arriving now and Silver Surfer? Like that was three comics. Yeah. That would be that would be a summer event with ninety two comics in it. Yeah, now. yeah, no, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. It'd be a fantastic <laughs> four event. Everything would tie into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it is interesting, but I, I think Little Monsters is is paced really, really well, and I appreciate. You know, I, th- I thought the cliffhanger was really, really good. The, the last two pages, they introduce a character and they introduce kind of who the narrator is in a wonderful way. Similarly, yeah. I want to just mention we didn't say, but yeah, uh, Batman Killing Joke is narrated by one or Killing Time is narrated by one consistent person, but we don't know who it is the whole time. And that's doled out so well. Mm-hmm. Like at this time, they, they showed up on my door and you're like, wait, what? Who are you? And then we still don't know who they are. Two issues in like, oh, that was, yeah, that was well done. Um, yeah, Little Monsters. I gave a pretty high score. I gave an eight point five. I think it was a it was great. I think I liked it more than that first issue. I think it was it was fantastic. I also give it an eight point five. Jeff, we're just we're just on the same WL. Yeah, except for I record all mine beforehand, and you're you just sound like you're copying me. So can you, can you prove I don't? Well, you did say that you don't before mm. we started recording. I don't know that you can prove it. It might be in our recording. No, mm, yeah, I don't think you can prove it. You remember when I made that cutting joke about like, I used to do, I did it for that way for like five years and now I do it this way because I realize it's better. No, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roman. <laughs> What's the best part of your week coming up? Coming up? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, uh, apparently on Saturday morning, the Jackie and Ryan and Ren Russell are going to be coming mm-hmm. into the museum at, in the morning to go play in the family activity the fig family interactive gallery um and so that'll be exciting um that may or may not have happened by the time this podcast goes up oh that's true that's true and other than that you know the usual most exciting thing about every week sunday night like 5 30 i'll be home and my one day weekend will start (laughs) (laughs) we gotta get this guy some time off he's got a day he's got a one day weekend he just said it (laughs) yeah i've got i've got yeah mondays sweet sweet mondays Oh. That's uh, we give him half of like the first half of Tuesday, so that's like a day and hey, a half. Hey, we're not Roman. the ones yeah. taking <laughs> the two of his days. Can I, can I mention uh, another book this week that yeah. I actually haven't finished yet, but I, I want to plug? It. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonder uh, Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons second issue came out this week. Folks, check this out. The art um, first fish yeah first issue art was by Phil Jimenez which was beautiful, but super, super, super tiny detailed. It was hard to look at sometimes. The second Almost George issue, Perez kind of detail. Yeah, yeah. Um, second issue, the arts by Gene Ha, who's another amazing artist. And it's actually a look easier to make out. And there's just one scene in particular I read right before we started this um, podcast that uh, Ar- Artemis is speaking to young Hippolyta. And since Artemis is one with nature and everything has dominion over nature, um, there's one panel where she's represented as the goddess she is and blah, blah, blah. And the next panel, you don't see her, but she's still speaking. And it turns out as you look at it, you realize, oh my gosh, she's right there, except her face and her arms are formed of negative space. And just the hint of a, of a face is done by the leaves on the trees from where the oh, thought, cool. the the tail of the thought balloon is coming from. <laughs> and when as you look at it long, you're like, oh my gosh, there she is. But if you unfocus your vision, it, she disappears. It's amazing. Hmm. It's it's so cool. And plus, it's just a great story about the origin of the Amazons and the 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 goddesses that uh, why they brought the Amazons into being and gathered these women to 
be their own separate race because because uh, man's world sucks. Do we know about like the spoilers in that issue? Are there like first appearances or Django? Like James Burke was in the store. James Burke, shout out, we love that guy. Um, was saying like, you know, he's been trying to dodge spoilers on that issue. Like the variant for it was worth like two or three times as much as the variant for the first issue that looked exactly the same. Like, do we know wow. what happened in this issue to make it be a thing that people are caring about more than the first issue? I don't know that there's a story thing. I think if if I had to guess, I would guess that that variant cover was just kind of underordered because it's a it's an oversized six ninety nine book. So I'll bet stores didn't order as many copies, and uh-huh. that one is just pretty scarce. Like if hmm. if I had to guess, hmm. it is all it has the golden ratio on it, which I'm always a fan of. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah, that's what it, it's going to be beautiful. I don't know how they're going to collect it, what they're going to do because there's a lot of gorgeous two page spreads that are kind of you know down the middle or interrupted by the spine of the book so i don't know how they're gonna if they're gonna do like gatefold pages for those and the collections mm-hmm. eventually but i hope they do because the art is gorgeous in both issues i mean knowing the way publishing works they'll probably just put those on opposite pages like you'll have to turn the page to get the second half of the image mm. before we started recording <laughs> roman was like the one issue i really want to talk about is this but i haven't finished it yet and i was like should we just have like a blanket assumption that like if there's a black label book that comes out we talk about it the week after it comes out <laughs> we can do Just that like, yeah. because they're all like three times the length of a normal <laughs> one and fucking we and record this usually the day pretty after great they come out. yeah exactly like, worth reading but like yeah we're not gonna have time to read it by the time we record <laughs> yeah. um well if you want to send us an email we would love that you could do it like will or andrew does or any of the wonderful people like rob scafidio or judd moore so the amazing dominic masseri uh the other folks as well uh we got a lance baker in there um send us those emails we want them we gotta uh we're gonna give a good issue number one out to everyone who sent us an email here soon when a good one comes into the store that we feel like everyone deserves to read that probably wouldn't have read it we like getting comics in the hands of people who might enjoy them um but you can do that at jeff at the send those emails or those voice recordings to jeff at the i want them Django, tell him i want them he wants them he i want ta- them. like our Tuesdays, we would get out of the store an hour and 45 minutes earlier on any given day that Jeff and I worked together if he wasn't constantly talking about how bad he wants emails from our <laughs> listeners. So send me those emails and make that easier for me. Also, they're going to boot us from the podcast servers if we don't have more customer engagement, interaction, listener interaction. So Just we need gone. that. We'll, we'll be, be gone. Booted. They told us that. Uh, right. That's why we've been rebranding. But we rebranded to the Comics Place Presents Yes, that's that's correct. That's our name. CPP. <laughs> CPP. Comics Place presents um, CPP. CPP. Ah, ah, it's the perfect name. If you like comics and peepees, there's only one place you can come to CPP and have comic discussion, and it's CPP. All right, everybody. Well, listen, this was episode 265 slash two of CPP. <laughs> and um and uh we'll see we'll see you all next week uh for cpp number three and until then we'll see you and some pp later and stuff i was wondering guys oh man we're we gonna do it again <laughs> no i think it's <laughs> no i think it's dead i actually really didn't like it actually all right we'll see you next week <laughs>